I'm Kimberly Amici. Welcome to the Build Your Best Family podcast. This is a practical show to help you imagine, plan, and build your best family. We believe that the secret to having a happy family is not being perfect, but having purpose. Each week, I'll be sharing with you lessons I've learned and conversations I've had that will help you become who you want to be together. Social media, instant access to more information than we can process, and algorithms are here to stay. While there are many positive things that can come from advancements in technology, there are also some negatives, such as the impact that screens are having on our mental health. Technology companies and the way they keep us coming back for more isn't going to change. So we're going to have to do the work to change how we interact with them. That starts by being more mindful and paying more attention to the ways we consume media and how it makes us feel. This week's guest, Lauren Elman, is here to talk to us about where mental health and social media use overlaps. She shares with us how we can pay attention to that intersection and relearn how to trust ourselves, which is essential to parenting in the age of the internet. According to Lauren, boundaries are important, but it's more likely that self-awareness may be the key to changing our toxic relationship with media. The next time you're scrolling through social media, be aware of how it makes you feel. And if you have a moment, grab a journal and write it down. What are the emotions that are stirred up? What makes you feel this way? This understanding will go a long way in helping you make better decisions for yourself and for your family. Are you ready to start parenting with clarity and purpose? Then let's talk. The free resources I offer are great. I hope you're using them. But if you want to take it to the next level, I can help with personal insight and support. As a family culture coach, I'm here to help you know exactly what to do as you imagine, plan, and build your best family. We'll use a simplified step-by-step process that will equip you to reach your goals and fulfill your potential together. Head over to www.buildyourbestfamily.com forward slash coaching to schedule a call. Today, I'm talking with Lauren Elman. Lauren is a published author and podcast host. Her content explores the intersection of mental health and social media use. She's decided to take a trial and error approach to self-help and shares her insights through her writing. So far, she's learned that leggings are pants, if you can't laugh, you'll cry, and no one really knows what the heck they're doing, her least of all. She is a mom, stepmom, fur mom, and wife, and when she's not momming, she's writing. You can find more from her on her website, mybrandofhappy.com, and on her podcast, The Perfect Podcast. Welcome, Lauren. I am excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to get started. So a question we ask all of our guests is, what is your family known for? Mm, I like that question. Well, among other friends and family, I would say that we're known for probably one of two things. One, I think we're a good example of what a blended family can look like. And we might make it look like pretty imperfect on the outside, maybe because we get a lot of compliments on, on how good we're doing and what a good job we're doing, but it's definitely challenging and a lot of work, but it's, it's definitely something my family is known for. We do a pretty good job at it. (laughs) And I think the other thing we're known amongst our friends and family is that we're the home that always wants to have everyone gathered at. And we like to host everyone at our house. We like to have parties and just bring everyone together. And that's kind of like when we're our happiest. So that's what we're known for. We're not, my family isn't really known 
through my content though, my, my audience doesn't really know my family too much because I'm not really sharing them as content, but definitely in our circles, that's what we're known for. Yeah. Is there anything in particular you like to do together? Yeah, we really like to just do stuff outside. We have a big backyard. We have a lake and we go out on like a little pontoon boat. We take walks. We like to go up to the mountains. So we're in South Florida, but we go up to North Carolina a lot and spend time up in the mountains and yeah, just anything outside Mm -hmm. nature involved. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's fantastic. All right. So you're here to talk to us about your book and I want you to tell us a little bit about your story and why you wrote it. Sure. Yeah. So a little bit of my background is I've been writing on the internet for about 10 years now. I started a little blog out of my you know, college apartment. And since then, it's just kind of evolved into me publishing articles online, starting a blog. And eventually I started a business where I was coaching other entrepreneurs and content creators on how to build their presence online through social media. So I was coaching people how to do that because that's what I was doing. If I found out that as I was teaching people how to do what I was doing, what I was doing didn't feel good. <laughs> I didn't really like showing up online the way I was. I was really starting to um, put my life and my work into this box to look like all the other bloggers and just kind of do what they were doing and create content that was working, quote unquote. So I noticed that it was really affecting my mental health and I kind of kept recognizing that little by little. I would, I would share about it um, candidly online, but not to the extent that I do now, I guess. But when I got pregnant is when I finally made the decision, like I have to kind of quit this altogether because I need to get well. And I wasn't well at the time, Mm -hmm. mental health wise. So I deleted all of my social media, all of my apps, closed down my business and in that time off, I had no intention of signing back on, but in that time off while I was pregnant, I realized that my social media itself isn't what's toxic. It's my relationship with it. And I think that can be said for many of us. So when I eventually signed back on, because we kind of all do, we can't just like stay off altogether. I set some boundaries and I put boundaries in place for how I was going to use this technology, how it was going to exist in my life. And that work and that process has kind of turned into the content that I share online now, which is talking about how we can exist with this technology and maintain mental health. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you really came of age during technology. I was Mm -hmm. listening to your audio on your podcast of your first chapter of your book and like I'm a little bit older than you. So we got email and the internet when I was in college. Mm. And, you know, like as I parent my kids who are now teenagers, I just try to keep explaining them, like you didn't have this when you were in high school. I mean, like, well, we didn't have what you have in high school. And so like you put all these things online, but we didn't, we didn't have any of that. No one knew our business. We had our group of friends. We didn't know what was going on in the world around us. Like it was such a different experience. So she could just share a little bit about like what it was like growing up and how you think this kind of lended itself to where we are today. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I see that show up a lot. The conversation is very prevalent in our house, but Mm -hmm. yeah, growing up, my experience was a bit different because like I said, I came of age with the internet. So I can still remember a time where we didn't have access to it the way we do. And we, you know, we had, I had landlines and things like that. Like I, I remember that stuff, but you know, by the time I was like in middle school, we were online and we were playing games online and in chat rooms and Googling. And our parents didn't really know what it was at the time either, because it was brand new. So we were just free reign in our rooms with the door closed, just 
using the internet however he wanted. And that totally impacted who we are as a generation, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. just how we perceive things and how we understand the world around us. And then social media started and we started connecting that way and networking. And and it just, we all kind of just rode the wave with it. And then it turned into this thing that nobody was prepared for. And none of us have done the due diligence to kind of reevaluate how we're using it. And we're all just kind of drowning in it. Mm-hmm. And I think that because of that, because we've just recently started talking about these problems in like a collective way, we don't have the tools to hand over to our kids and say like, this is how you use the internet. This is how you set boundaries because we haven't done that for ourselves yet. And of course, no one taught us how to do that because we were the first ones. So it is our job, I think, as a generation to simultaneously learn how to set those boundaries for ourselves and then talk to our kids and lead by example and show them how to do that for their technology. Because their technology is even more you know, intrusive and prevalent in yeah. their lives. All of their socializing is happening there. A lot of their schooling is happening there. They're teaching themselves stuff on YouTube. Like it is so much more a part of their lives than it was for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm very conscious remembering that as much bad as it offers, it offers so much good. And mm-hmm. I saw that for myself too. So just keeping it a conversation with the kids and making sure that they see us setting boundaries, they see us trying to have healthier relationships with it. That's, that's as much as we can do right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in your book, you talk about how mental health and social media overlap and how we need to pay attention to that intersection. So can you talk a little bit more about that and unpack that? What what you mean by that? Sure. Yeah. So like I was saying, there's there's two sides to everything. And as much as social media has been proven to have been impacting our mental health, like this mm-hmm. isn't just an opinion. It's there's studies about it. Like it's it's there. The data is there. Yeah, we have more mental health issues than any other generation and all this stuff. I do believe that mental health issues aren't new. And I don't think that it's a new thing that so many people have them. I do believe that it's because of social media and because of the internet and the conversations that are being had and the destigmatizing and normalizing of mental health, more people are seeking help. More people are getting access than ever before. People and groups of people that would have never had access to this this type of conversation would have never been comfortable talking about it. They were just suffering in silence for generations. Mm -hmm. So we don't have the data of how many people actually were touched by mental illness and mental health disorders in the past. But we know now that they are, and there's a Mm -hmm. large amount and it's significant. While at the same time, even though social media is exacerbating those mental health disorders, it's also creating a safe space for the first time for people to come forward and seek help and get resources and learn about it. So mm-hmm. I think both of those things exist at the same time. And that's mm-hmm. why I call it an intersection or an overlap, because yes, social media is impacting our mental health, but it's also providing us a platform for the first time for all of us collectively to fix it. Yeah. Oh, it's like a double-edged sword. Cause I know, you know, trying to talk with my kids about spending time off social media, not being so available to their friends. I mean, even my daughter going through the college 
application process, she already has roommates. When I went, I just showed up and whoever they put me with, they put me with. But now <laughs> she's gathered roommates and she's checked out their TikTok and she's checked out their Instagram. And yeah. and like, I was like, do, you, do we need to take pictures? Do we need to go somewhere? <laughs> do we need to get better pictures for your feed? I got caught up in it too, as a content yeah. creator. I'm like, don't you want to share what you like? And so they know, I'm like, okay, calm down. Like, <laughs> it's a lot of pressure yeah. um, on us and on children. And just there is the good but there, but but we still have to be so mindful of the way it impacts us on the inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. mindfulness is is key. Yeah. So you also said in your book how te- technology companies know us better than we know ourselves. How can we know ourselves better so that we can avoid allowing them to essentially mm. bully us? Yeah. <laughs> but like you said, to tell us who we should be and how we should think. Yeah. So it's. I think the first step is recognizing, remembering, accepting that that artificial intelligence is there, that there is a robot, a technology that has been designed by very smart people to figure out who we are at the snap of a finger. They collect all this data and they really know what we like, how we're presenting, what we're Mm -hmm. Googling, all of it is there. And they, they are so focused. Their one job, that AI, is to gather all that information and come up with exactly who we are or who we're presenting to be online. Mm -hmm. We, on the other hand, are so distracted by modern life and keeping up and socializing and working and reading that book and parenting and everything else that we're so distracted from doing that work and from checking in with ourselves. We're so busy keeping up, we're not checking in and understanding what we like, who we are, what we're interested in. So we're kind of taking this like lazy approach or, okay, we'll let the artificial intelligence figure it out Mm -hmm. and then that's it. And we kind of take a passive approach to it. And I think that in order to reclaim that, we really need to set time aside to be alone with ourselves. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us don't want to do that. It's uncomfortable. It's a waste of time. We have other things to do. We're too busy. Excuses, excuses. But if we want to have some sort of like, grasp on who we are and not let this technology kind of have a free reign on it. We need to do that work so that we're able to recognize when something is presented to us online, we can say, that's not true for me because I know what's true for me because I know. And the technology isn't going to change to help us. Like, it's not going to be like, oh, we're making people sick. Let's, let's fix ourselves. They're just going to keep making money doing what they're doing. Yeah. And it's so it i don't think the the job is like let's get technology companies to change how they're working with their ai we have to do the work we have to change mm-hmm. we have to be more mindful and paying more attention unfortunately mm-hmm. yeah do you have any suggestions of what we can be asking ourselves mm. yeah i mean i think this is definitely like an individual journey for each person mm-hmm. but when you're sitting with yourself i think a lot of it is just even if it looks different for everyone, it can be taking mm-hmm. a walk, journaling, meditation, like any sort of like alone time with yourself mm-hmm. and your thoughts, letting yourself feel the feelings that come up, letting yourself think the thoughts that come up without just immediately shutting them out, like really getting to know yourself, mm-hmm. like everything that comes up inside. And the way that I think about mindfulness is like silencing the noise around you and like turning up the volume inside. So really turning up that volume and hearing what's going on and who you are, really looking at yourself in the mirror and like seeing you for the first time and not this like perception of what everyone sees you as. 
Like questions are like, what do I like? What makes me happy? What makes me sad? What triggers me? And just Mm -hmm. freeform journal it out or talk it out or whatever. And just like, you're getting like questions you would ask a friend, right? Like talk to them, get to know them, do Mm -hmm. that for yourself. And then you'll be able to feel that little nudge from inside saying like, oh wait, that's not true. That's not how you feel. That shouldn't. And you'll really quickly recognize when something is triggering you on the internet and you see content that is like making you feel a certain way. You can at the same time unfollow it because it's Mm -hmm. not serving you and ask yourself the question, Hey, why did that make me feel that way? Let's Mm -hmm. explore that and then do that work offline. Mm, Yeah. That is good. And when I when I find that when I take the time to figure out why something made me feel the way it did, I start to peel back the layers and unpack things. And mm. it's just so beneficial. Yeah. Um, and that's hard mm. to teach our kids. But I think that if we keep talking about it with them mm-hmm. and show them how we're doing it and make it like a really normal conversation in the home, mm-hmm. it'll just be normal for them. Mm-hmm. Right. So if my son, you know, who is creating a YouTube channel, you know, he was feeling some sort of way about not having a certain amount of followers and things like that. And he wanted to quit. And there was this whole conversation. I made that a conversation about why do you feel like you need followers? Why is this making you feel so upset? Like leading him Mm -hmm. through that question asking Mm -hmm. so that when he is on his own, he has that tool, I guess, Mm -hmm. because that's something that I've taken the time to develop for myself. Mm -hmm. I didn't have it before, but now that I've done this work, I'm able to notice why am I so caught up in this? What is happening? And that helps me. That helps me get back in line with what I'm trying to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think getting to know ourselves is a trial and error process as well, Mm -hmm. because I think we stay so busy that we oftentimes, at least in my experience, I've realized what I thought was going to make me happy or, and I mean, like, I mean, in terms of self-care wasn't like, yeah. I don't, you know, a day off to me, I thought was, should, should be like reading a book alone by myself. And then I realized, no, like that's, <laughs> I tried it a few times and I was like, <laughs> uh, that's not what I want to do. I want to go see people and go have a cup of mm-hmm. coffee with a friend. So, try, you know, it was a mu- very much a trial and error process of me figuring out what it is that I enjoy doing what it is that I really want to do, not the things that are suggested me, not even, not even the TV shows Netflix suggests for me. (laughs) Exactly. That's such a good example of being able to recognize like, okay, I tried that. Mm -hmm. It's not working. Let me, Mm -hmm. let me figure out what might work. And, and then paying close attention. Okay. Why does that feel better to me? Why does hanging Mm -hmm. out with people Mm -hmm. fill me up more than alone time? And there's Mm -hmm. answers there that tell you about yourself, reveal something like, When it comes to parenting and motherhood online, especially, I was super subscribed to the idea that in order to be part of like mother, modern day motherhood, I needed to be heavily caffeinated until I was drinking myself to sleep. (laughs) That was what I thought. I was like, okay, I'm participating. I'm a mom. This is what I'm doing. And I did it. I posted about it. I joked about it. Like I was all, all caught up in it. And then like, especially during quarantine, when I was like, we're all forced to just kind of sit with ourselves. I was like, I don't feel good. Like, I don't feel good having this much caffeine. I don't feel good drinking this much. Like, what am I doing? And I came to terms with the fact that that's not true for me. And I can still participate in modern motherhood and Mm -hmm. relate to these moms. Mm -hmm. But I don't have to show up that way in order to be accepted. And it's, yeah, it's noticing those things and paying Uh and not ignoring them. Yeah, that's an interesting word that you use, participated. There's a strong pull to make choices for your family so that you can participate 
in what is going on. Mm. Participate in what culture is doing, your neighborhood's doing, or what what everyone's doing. And yeah, like we didn't have the word for it, but it was Mm. like, and you don't want to say, well, that's what everybody else is doing, but participate sounds like more sophisticated, but but it's true. If if that's why you've made the choices that you've made, it's time to reevaluate. Yeah. And better than saying participate, you're performing, Mm. you're performing for everyone else's perception. You think you're participating. Right. You say participating because you're like, I'm part of it. But if if you're abandoning yourself in the process, Mm -hmm. showing your pressure on them and your family to participate, quote unquote, what's the point? So I think that a big job you have to do as a family, as a collective unit is decide we're not doing that anymore. We're mm-hmm. only doing things that feel good, that feel right, that we want, that fill us up. And mm-hmm. that's an individual thing people need to do for themselves about setting boundaries. But once you're, and I don't think you can set boundaries for your family unit until you learn how to set boundaries for yourself, because that's like a skill, but doing that for yourself and then showing your kids how to do it. So that when someone is like, okay, yeah, you need to be in baseball. Like this is what you need to be doing. Like if one of their aunts or uncles or somebody in their life says that to them, they can be like, I don't like baseball. Why would I do that? Just because everyone else is doing it. I like other things. So like you're teaching your kids and I, I like to show them by example. So I like for them to see me say no to things and me to stand up for what I believe is true for myself. Mm -hmm. And even if that doesn't look like it does for the, their friends, moms, it, it looks like that for me. And I'm always being authentic and they may think I'm weird or I'm being crazy or weird in the moment, but I think that it will, it'll leave a lasting imprint on them. Oh, for sure. So what does it mean to relearn to trust ourselves? I mean, we may have already touched on this, but mm-hmm. trusting ourselves is like next level. Yeah. And it's something we've lost. <laughs> I think we've <laughs> lost the art of, because of what we've been talking about, because of all this AI, mm-hmm. because of the constant buffet of content, mm-hmm. like we don't know what to believe, let alone believing ourselves. So I think relearning involves tapping back into that little kid we were before the world around us informed us how to see what to believe who we are. Mm -hmm. And so I think we all have access to that little kid. That work can look different for other people, like inner child healing or just more play or, you know, unpacking hard memories and trauma like that. There's the road to access that part of ourselves is available to all of us. It just may look different, but I think that that's how we, we relearn. The The closer in contact we are with that little kid, mm. the, the quicker we are to trust our gut and our intuition, because I think that little kid is our intuition. Yeah. I think, and I mentioned that in the book, like I, as soon as we start turning up the volume on their voice, we're able to really know what's true for us. And we can say, mm. wait, why do I believe that? Where did that even come from? I never believed that before. And then we can do the work. Mm. It's just this constant unpacking. And as soon as we unpack one bag, another one's being filled up behind us. And it's just this constant job, but it's important. It's our job yeah. here. That's why we're here. Yeah. So how can we be more mindful of the content we're consuming? Because I'm online because that's the work we do, right? Yep. And I And I think that, I have so many friends that I have met online and now I'm real person friends with them. You know, there are, like you said, so many amazing things that's come out of it. So how can we be more mindful? Yeah. So like I said about mindfulness, I really think it's about silencing the noise around us and turning up the volume within us. And the same goes for 
online life, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm doing a really good job at muting the type of content that doesn't serve me while at the same time as I'm muting it, asking myself, why is it not serving me? What changed? What happened? What's triggering me? Mm-hmm. So always using it as like a learning moment, but really just curating a feed and a buffet of content that serves me. I don't need to be following everyone, every stranger, every blogger. I only make sure to follow people that I have a relationship with, that I want to have a relationship with, that inspire me, teach me, mm-hmm. all that, make me laugh. And just setting those boundaries for yourself, setting that criteria for yourself and checking in with it on a daily basis. And I think that, because we're going to get lost in the scroll, we're going to just be scrolling and scrolling and lose ourselves. It happens to me all the time. As many boundaries as I set, I set boundaries like don't check your phone right when you wake up. Don't check it right before you go to bed. On a good day that happens. Most days it doesn't. I try to set timers for myself when I'm signing, you know, opening up the apps and scrolling and I say, okay, only 30 minutes or I make sure to know why I'm scrolling. Like I'm going to open up my Instagram to go look for a potential podcast guest, Mm -hmm. or I'm going to open Instagram because I had a really long day and I need to zone out for 30 minutes, like really knowing what you're doing on there. Mm -hmm. And as a parent, I think it's really important to teach that mindfulness to our kids by like example. Mm -hmm. So making it a habit in your home to have boundaries around technology is really important. Even if you have like teenagers, 16 year olds who you think they're all too far gone, like they already have their habits. If you make it a point to like in your home, you have boundaries, that's going to imprint on them. They're going to learn that. So if that's can look like, okay, as a family, we don't have any screen time when we're eating or every day we have an hour of no screen time. And when we're watching TV, we put the phones away, like coming up with rules for your family that work for your family, Mm -hmm. kids will learn and they'll learn what, why we shouldn't scroll the day away, what we can do instead. We can go outside, like just making it a conversation. Mm -hmm. So, and they'll push back and they'll be like, well, like I have to talk to my friends right now. And what if someone's texting me and they're going to be all agitated and uncomfortable, just like we get when we get our stuff taken away from us, but you just kind of have to hold firm and gently remind them each time, like, this is important for you to learn. Mm-hmm. This is how we learn. And I'm, trust me, I have a 12 year old sixth grader and, you know, he's pushes back every time I try to set these boundaries. It's so mm-hmm. hard. It's such hard work, yeah. but it starts now. Yeah. You don't want it to be too late. So when it comes to content consumption, what are we, sh- what should we be on the lookout for so that it doesn't negatively impact our family? Hmm. Well, consumption wise, so it doesn't negatively impact our family, I think is just like I said, boundaries, like setting time restraints, times of the day where it's acceptable and when it's not. And then also instead of just like, I don't know, like demonizing technology and social media and screens and like, oh, we need to put them away and make them bad, kind of encouraging them to do positive things with their phones and their computers and connecting with friends and all of that, like making like positive reinforcements with it while also always offering them alternative sources of entertainment, Mm -hmm. distraction, fun, whatever. Because a big thing that I see with my kids and all the others is they have like such little tolerance for boredom. Like they don't know what to do. So I think that kind of teaching them like how to be bored, what to do instead of their phones, that they can have fun without Mm -hmm. their phones, that they can socialize without their phones you know, being on top of planning play dates and social events and things like that, just staying ahead of it 
Because if we're all left to it, we're all left to our own devices. We're just going to stay on our devices. Like it's Mm -hmm. the easiest thing. So we really have to stay in front of it. But I think that's the best thing when it comes to consumption is just paying attention to how much we're consuming. Yeah. And I would like to say I want to filter out what they're consuming, like the actual content. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we can. I mean, there's like parent monitors and, and all these things, but I know I grew up with the internet. I grew up being able to image search whatever I wanted. And yeah, it sucks. <laughs> like it's not good, but I think because I grew up with it and I still turned out pretty decent, I think that it's just a conversation now with the mm-hmm. kids instead of just shielding them from all the bad stuff they might come across. It's teaching them what to do if they happen across it. Mm-hmm. And that conversation has to, and it's uncomfortable. We don't want to have the conversation with our kids, but it's important. Yeah. All right. So as we wrap up, how can we parent better in the age of the internet? And I mean, we've, we've covered so much, but do you have any last kind of tips about how we can do better? Yeah. Cause I know it's easy to just let it be. If my kids are happy and I'm getting yeah. my stuff done, if it's not like really hurting us as a family, like we can let some things slide. So like, right. I I've been there, done that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We all have, and there's yeah. no shame in it. Like. Of course we have, like mm-hmm. they made it, they designed it to act like a drug. They designed it to be so easy. It's junk food, yeah. right? So I think the best way to parent in the age of the internet is first reparenting ourselves. Like we didn't have parents teaching us what to do here with the internet. Like mm-hmm. we were just, it was the wild west for us. And so we just went out there and did our thing and it definitely shaped us. It made an impact. And I think it's our job right now to unpack all of that, reevaluate and reparent ourselves and say, it's okay if this triggers you. It's okay if you haven't felt comfortable talking about these things, whatever it is, reparent ourselves so that we can parent our kids better through their experience online. But we're not going to be able to hand them any tools if we don't have them for ourselves and no one's handing them to us. So Mm -hmm. we really have to, as a collective, brainstorm together what the solution is. I offer some suggestions in my book, but I don't have all the answers. I just have a lot of questions. And I think that we need to start having these conversations together so that we can parent better our, our children through the internet. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And then those questions are just as valuable because they lead us to critical thinking. They mm-hmm. lead us to unpacking, to journaling. I mean, just if we take a moment, I love that you said that, that we learn to reparent ourselves because that's going to be, that's going to be the key to how we can parent our children better. That's going to be the key to what we believe and think about devices and access to information. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you again. You can find Lauren at laurenelman.com, and she's also on Instagram as laurenelman underscore. I'll link to all of this, plus where you can find her new book, BRB, a memoir about coming of age in the digital age, in the show notes. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. If so, I'd like to ask a favor. Can you head over to iTunes and leave a review? Besides sharing this episode with your friends, leaving a review is one of the most effective ways you can support us and help get the word out about the incredible resources we have to offer. I'm passionate about helping families thrive and your reviews help families find us. Remember, family culture is not about perfect, it's about purpose. 